0: This is the Life at Work podcast, an initiative of City Bible Forum. The Life at Work podcast is produced by City Bible Forum. To find out more, go to citybibleforum.org slash lifeatwork.
1: Hi, I'm Andrew Laird, and welcome to the podcast, where we meet real workers wrestling with real workplace issues. Today, women and the workplace, the distinct challenges facing Christian women, and how to navigate them.
2: So if you haven't seen models of bold women leading in public life who are women of faith, if you have if that isn't part and parcel of your discipleship, you can feel lonely.
1: My guest today is Joanna Meyer from the Denver Institute for Faith and Work and the author of the brand new book Women Work and Calling. I'm Andrew Laird and this is the Life at Work podcast. The working landscape has changed dramatically in recent years with the rise in working from home in the wake of COVID to the technological advances of AI and its impact. But long before these recent changes, the industrial revolution of the 1700s had an impact upon the relationship between work and home, which is still with us today. Known as the Golden Age of Domesticity, women increasingly found themselves taking the role of maintaining the home while men went out to the factories. In the past few decades, many changes have taken place, leading to more women in paid employment outside of the home. However, many Christian women often lament feeling ill-equipped to know what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus if this is the context for their work. They hear teaching about how to follow Jesus in the home, but around the boardroom table, well, that can be harder to come by. Enter Joanna Meyer, whose passion is to inspire, empower, and equip Christian women for influence in public life. And so, to talk more about how she does this and the unique issues facing Christian women at work, welcome to the podcast, Joanna.
2: Hi, it's so lovely to be with you.
1: Wonderful to have you joining us. I, I notice a, an accent there. Tell us which part of the world are you in?
2: Yes, I send greetings from the Rocky Mountains of the United States. I'm in Denver, Colorado.
1: Lovely. I have this perception when I when I hear of Denver, Colorado, that it's just uh, all the people who live there—they're outdoors in the wilderness all the time. Is that right? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, it can be hard in the summer to get people to church on Sundays because they're often outside.
1: Okay, lovely. Very, very nice. So, you're with the Denver Institute for Faith and Work. Tell us, what is that and, and what do you specifically do with them?
2: Yeah, the Denver Institute is a 10-year-old organization. We're part of the broader global faith and work movement, as is this podcast, which is so fun to yes. be connecting with you across the miles. Um, our focus is on forming men and women to be loving God and serving their neighbors through their daily work. And so, we help people think biblically about work. We help them think what does it look like as a Christian to be living in a secular culture and what does it look like to have godly influence there. Uh, we provide soul care and spiritual formation activities. We convene people. We often say we convene. We cultivate and we catalyze, meaning that we draw together Christians who often can feel isolated and separated in their industries. We cultivate them, giving them imagination for work um, and practical models of what does it look like to live as a Christian in their unique industries. And we send them out um, to have influence that shapes their workplaces and our city as a whole.
0: Mm,
1: I love it. We're, we're speaking the same language you and I here. Yes. And, and you in particular have a, a focus with the Institute for Women in the Workplace, is that right?
2: Yeah, for the last eight years, I've led an initiative called Women Work and Calling. It began as a single one-time event here in Denver, Colorado, and we found that there really is a critical discipleship gap for Christian women, and so it's grown to be a a full-fledged initiative which serves the U.S. and the world. That's been amazing. Over the last three years, we've had women in uh, 36 U.S. states and 32 countries participate in our programming, which has just been mind-boggling. It highlights the hunger for Christian women to be thinking about a broader, integrated vision of uh, their role in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I was going to say precisely that. It, it, it clearly shows that there is an appetite for this, and so we'll come to some of those issues facing Christian women in the workplace in just a moment. But first, let's start with you a little bit. You say that uh, you often joke you're an unexpected career woman. Uh, tell us a little bit about your career and why you describe it in that way.
2: Yeah, it's it's kind of fascinating. You know, I I always want to preface any comment about what my journey looks like. Uh, by acknowledging that every woman's story is different. And so, Mm. I'm very much a creature of the church background I grew up in and my age, the generation that I'm part of. And so... While women may find hopefully some deep resonance in my experience with their own stories. Um, their stories are unique. And so I want to just acknowledge the diversity of perspectives that are here. But for me, I, you know, I'm a, in my 40s and I was raised in a home where I saw my mom primarily focused on homemaking. She became a nurse. Uh, she was a nurse before I was born and then returned to nursing to help uh, provide some of our college expenses. Um, but her primary focus was on home and on supporting my dad. Um, and there was such strong cultural language around the value of homemaking at, when I was growing up that I really didn't have a vision for work at all. I, I trained to be a high school social studies teacher and I anticipated teaching at a local high school after I graduated from college. And I was excited about that. I knew because I loved teaching, I love the subject matter, but I assumed that marriage and motherhood would provide the primary direction in my life. I often joke that it was like, I said, I'll work for a few years, and then dot, dot, dot. Mm. I did not have a vision for my life beyond that. Um, and that proved problematic. As I said, I'm in my, um, my 40s, I'm still single, I'm unable to become a, be a mother for medical issues. And so, just by virtue of life circumstances, I've needed a bigger framework a richer story for how I would be using my life's life. And on top of that, I have leadership gifts. And so, mm-hmm. in my faith community, there were real gaps. There just wasn't a roadmap for someone like me. And so, I remember hitting my 30s and a friend asking, you know, what do you, you want to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll go to grad school because in my head I was panicking a little bit. I thought, mm-hmm. okay, sometime, maybe in the next five years, maybe I'll get married. I just didn't have a vision for how to proactively Integrate whatever roles God made available to me. And so I know I'm not the only one. I've talked to innumerable women um, who really can struggle because they don't have this integrated vision that affirms the roles of that relational roles that God gives them, but also has a big vision for how they join God in his redemptive purposes in the world.
1: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned there, obviously, your upbringing um, provided mm-hmm. certain models for what um, it might look like for male and female roles when it comes to work. Uh, you mentioned also there being, I guess, a gap uh, in your uh, church experience in terms of uh, knowing. Well, what does it mean for me if this is the if this is the pathway God is taking me along in terms of my work? Tell me, unpack that a little bit more for us. What what did that that gap feel like? How did you how did you navigate it? And why do you think there often is a gap in our churches when it comes to discipling women for paid yeah. employment?
2: Yeah, I often say that if conversations about faith and work are still somewhat rare in local churches, it's been thrilling to see it grow through Mm. the work of folks who are in the faith and work movement. But it's still rare. Conversations for women about work are just non-existent in a lot of circles. Um, And I think it comes from a number of reasons. I think here in the United States, I want to be careful that I'm not making assumptions about um, Australian culture, but here in the United States, uh, there was such a strong reaction to the women's movement of the mid-20th century. And so, mm-hmm. one aspect of that, when you saw marriages falling apart, you saw the sexual revolution and women entering the workforce, it was easy to react and think the health of our families is a threat. And so, we need to double down and strengthen and emphasize our families. And so, because of that, there was such an emphasis on specific roles that women fill um, that there was very little emphasis beyond that. I can't tell you the number of women I've had who've talked to me who've said, you know, my mom so elevated motherhood as the highest calling, the most important thing a woman could do that mm. I really struggled. I didn't have a vision for anything beyond that. And I'm very clear that I am celebrating and affirming um, the role of motherhood and being a wife, but mm. what I'm pushing for is a broader framework within, within which those roles fit. Mm. Um, and that allows for a greater diversity and a question for any woman to say, what's the right stewardship of this season of life and my circumstances? And also, what's the right stewardship of my gifts? Mm. Um, and that means that it will look different for every woman. I can think of a woman maybe who um, – has a very high-flying career and has a child uh, born to her who has special needs. And she may have to step back from the nature of that career in order to care, to be able to provide the kind of care her child needs. And that's a place of discipleship and stewardship in her relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I've had friends who... Um, Because of life circumstances, people like me, they're just single longer than they thought, or or maybe they have had circumstances change that mean they need to step into the workforce. Because they didn't have a robust theology of work, they didn't have imagination for that transition, and so it created great fear for them. Um, They just didn't have a vision for work. So, part of that relates to culture uh, around gender and roles, it also comes, that gap comes from a lack of a theological vision for work. Mm. And that is so critical for men and women alike. And so, if if the only training you're providing in your local church community is uh, biblical knowledge and spiritual disciplines, which are so important and valuable, they're part of the foundation of the Christian life, but they're not the whole story, but they're not Mm. the full framework, or you're investing in our relational expressions of our calling, that forgets the whole wide space of what our role is like in public life. And so, because mm. of that absence, a lot of, of a lot of us feel either isolated, I can tell you the number of times I've sat across the, a table at a coffee shop and had women who say, I go to this, a small group at my church and I don't feel like they even know me because the conversation never touches on the full scope of my life. Mm. I have a friend who had a, a major role as a, editor-in-chief of a regional magazine here in Colorado. And I remember talking to her pastor and and just saying how exciting it was to be able to follow her work and see her, her magazine on the newsstand at the grocery store. And her pastor looked at me and said, gosh, I don't think I've ever considered what she does for a living. I see wow. her at church on Sunday chasing yeah. her kids or standing next to her husband, and that's as far as my my imagination for that woman's life goes.
0: Mm. And so,
2: when we have – because we have had this kind of narrow view of discipleship or a narrow framework around the scope of a woman's life, uh, mm. it means that we're not discipling from them for that full scale, scope, and it means we have – limited vision of women's potential and their potential influence, and we also aren't preparing them to fully step into all those roles. And so, that's what I'm pushing for, is mm. just this wonderful sense of stewardship of who God has made you to be and the unique circumstances that He's placed you in.
0: Mm, mm.
1: Those stories that you share just there of, the, of those women, would you say your experience has been talking to these Christian women who are working, uh, mm-hmm. they describe in some ways they feel lonely, Uh, when it comes to their place in the church.
2: The isolation can be very profound because you may feel lonely within your faith community or not being seen for the full person that you are. Or within your industry or workplace, you may not know another Christian there. And I know that can be challenging in Australia. I know you guys have even sometimes more secular aspects of your culture than here in Mm. the United States. And so, that sense of isolation can be profound. And so, you don't feel at home anywhere.
0: Hmm, hmm.
1: So there's, that's the problem in many ways, mm-hmm. and I thank you for unpacking yeah. that. I think you've made it very clear to us that there is an issue here, and just even in, in terms of the discipleship of all of life, this is a massive, massive gap. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned a moment ago we need to have a, a starting point is having a, having a theological vision that enables us to then begin to disciple yeah. in this space. You've written a, a, a brand-new book called Women, Work and Calling, and, uh, and you write... Uh, to that end in this book and uh, here's, here's the quote to be biblical our vision for women's roles must be accessible to any woman in any stage of life or socioeconomic status anywhere in the world at any point in history. To imply that a single model represents a biblical ideal denies the diversity of the human experience and the diverse roles we see women play in scripture. End of the quote there. So, Joanna, can you just perhaps give us a few biblical foundations then for (laughs) how we might form such a, a biblical vision for women's roles that it can be widely accessible in the ways you describe.
2: Yeah, and when you hear that that it has to be, you know, if we say there's there's an ideal way for a woman to follow God, that it has to be accessible to any women in all of humankind suddenly realize it needs to be more general than it Mm. is specific. And that's a wonderfully freeing thing that raises that question of what is my imagination for my own life and how God would lead me. As far as a biblical foundation, you know, I look at Genesis 1 and I see the creation mandate of God entrusting creation to men and women together. There's Mm. this spirit of co-laboring. And while we may have uniquely gendered expressions of how we live that out, There's that sense of collaboration of doing that together and I go, okay, women are entrusted with the stewardship of creation from the very beginning.
0: Mm. And so
2: we think, okay, that expands the frame that God is inviting me to fill. I think Mm. about the grand narrative arc of Scripture that we see in Revelation. The fulfillment of moving from a garden to a city and we think, oh, that progressive development of the created world, the healing potential, we'll talk about healing in a second, but Mm -hmm
0: -hmm. the creative
2: potential of what has become, we're invited to join God in that. And so, well, if you go hunting and pecking for individual verses, you won't find as many verses about women working. The broad theological framework is for anyone that follows Christ and so we can rest in that. I think we, um, I was just reflecting on the Old Testament and thinking through where do we see examples of work, regardless of gender. Um, Often we look at Scripture and think, oh, these are biblical heroes, so they must be doing religious work. And we forget how many actual trades and jobs and farming and government jobs are reflected in the heroes of the faith. We need to take another step and say, where do we see women reflected in Scripture working? I think of Exodus 17 when you see the Hebrew midwives when they were acting in civil disobedience against Pharaoh through their work delivering babies. They mm. refused to kill the Hebrew babies. They were nurses at the bedside of birthing mothers. They made that courageous choice to disobey Pharaoh and saved, um, saved the Hebrew people. And I think mm. that was through the context of their daily work. They were working as midwives, yeah. uh, were invited to look at Proverbs 31 and say, maybe this isn't a passage that's exclusively about women. Maybe it's a model model of biblical wisdom, of biblical productivity that applies to men and women alike. I can't tell you how many women's lives have been um, narrowed because of a, a narrow interpretation of Proverbs 31. So, it's time to celebrate that, that model, that metaphor, and also expand it so we're no longer held back by it. And then I think hmm. about examples in the New Testament. I think about Lydia. Um, do we have an imagination for Lydia's work as an entrepreneur? selling luxury fabrics. Imagine, like, the network she managed of distribution, of production, of thinking about finance. Like, this was a major businesswoman, or Deborah, who was a judge, who was a government official. There's so many examples, but we may not see them as working women. And so, we mm. just need to remove some of the lenses with which we've brought to Scripture and allow it to speak for what it is.
1: Mm, mm. And I think what you've done there so helpfully is actually helped us begin to open our eyes to, to see that, to notice the, the, the work that, that women do and the diversity of work that women do as, uh, as recorded in Scripture. And, uh, and sometimes that's that's certainly a massive starting point to just begin to, to, to notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the language of calling is also very significant for you as well too in your ministry. So just yeah. uh, unpack that a little bit for us. What, what is calling and, and maybe even what is it not?
2: Yeah. Calling is a sensitive subject because I mm. think we have a lot of cultural norms within faith culture or specific denominations about what we think it means to be called. Uh, I spent years working in campus ministry earlier in early in my career and young mm. adults can be very passionate about what they feel like God's calling them to and can confuse like an emotional conviction with the uh, authoritative voice of God. And so, If we're not careful, we can actually box ourselves into a corner by having a narrow vision of calling. Just as we want a broad vision of what God is doing in the world and our role in it, we -hmm. want calling to be broad enough to really encompass all of life. And so, I keep it really simple. It starts with our whole life response to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Like, we Mm -hmm. respond to God's invitation to us. That's part of calling. And we also step into His purposes in the world. And that means it has um, some pretty significant implications for how we expect God to speak to us. He certainly communicates, and we can have a relationship of discernment, of seeking God's guidance. But when we're talking about call, we want to be careful because we're implying it's the direct voice, voice of God, and to be acting against that voice would be disobedient. Mm. That's how stringent we are when we talk about If we're going to apply the language of, I feel called to blank, uh, we need to really be careful of what that means. And so, as a result, you know, at Denver Institute, we have a very broad vision of calling. We would say, Mm. calling is more general than it is specific. Mm. That in Scripture, you see calling language given either in a general call to a people, the identity of the body of Christ, the church, or to a life of general principles of Christian faithfulness and obedience. You see language like that throughout the New Testament. But it's only very specific individuals that played a decisive role in the history of Israel or the life of the church that got that like burning bush direct voice from
0: mm, God. Mm. Um,
2: and so we want to give ourselves the freedom to say, God's inviting me to something very broad. And it's freedom and imagination and discernment for me to seek out what that would be. So, more general than specific. Mm. We are formed for our calling more often than it being found, meaning that often we can be passive and saying, gosh, I need God to declare what He wants me to do. And I look at Scripture and think, He's given us some pretty grand marching orders. And Mm. even if they aren't specific to your life, To my life here in Denver, Colorado, God has not spoken directly in St. Joanna. In this day, point in time in Denver, this is what you are to do. He's given me universal, timeless principles about what Mm. I'm supposed to do. And my life is shaped over time. If we had more time, I would walk you through the patchwork quilt that has been my career. And I can look back and say, God has shaped me through all of the steps along the way, even the ones that felt kind of random, to prepare me for where I am and how I'm serving Him today. And so that sense of being formed in our calling for our calling is so important. Mm. Um, and that it's something that we can be proactive about. In that freedom that God gives us, initiative and creativity and imagination have a place. We don't have to wait for Him to give permission sometimes on the dreams that we have. Mm.
1: Mm as you were describing that there uh the word that kept popping into my mind was was freedom which uh yeah. which you used also it's very liberating and, and and freeing this vision of of calling that you give us there and i guess um by necessity it, it needs to be because we are such a so diverse and as you said earlier on it's not a one size fits all even just for when we think about women in the workplace is it
2: mm-hmm. no yeah. there's such such nuance and even through different seasons of our life. Um, mm. I think it brings a lot of peace to realize that God's promises of presence and faithfulness extend to all of life, but also that His call extends to all of life. Like, we don't check out when we hit retirement age and say, well, I guess I'm done with God's call. We mm. go, oh no, his, his purposes for my life are, are as robust as ever, even if the context and the nature of how I'm working has changed.
1: Mm. Ah mm. oh, wonderful Joanna, you've already given us so much to think about in terms of that that uh, broad framework and the overview of the theological ideas which uh, should guide us on this topic, the the language around calling. So we're going to take a short break now, but when we return, let's turn to some of the specific issues that are impacting Christian women and how the Christian faith helps navigate them.
0: You've heard of IQ. And EQ, but what about your EVQ? Grow in your evangelism quotient, or EVQ, so you know what to say and when to say it when you're sharing your faith. It's like IQ, but for your evangelism. Wherever you are in your evangelism journey, join one of our tailor-made programs with your own personal mentor. Find out more today at evq.com.
1: Welcome back. Joanna, I want to address now some of the specific issues facing women when it comes to work, which uh, you raise in your new book. So let's start with one of them, imposter syndrome. Uh, This is a concept which was first described by two female psychologists in the late 1970s. So just for those unfamiliar with the term, tell us what it is and why it's likely to impact women more than men.
2: Yeah. You may hear me say this a lot, but a lot of these things we'll be talking about in the second half of the podcast affect men and women alike, Mm. um, but there are nuances to them of how we experience it. So, imposter syndrome is a persistent inability to believe that your success is deserved or legitimately achieved as a result of your own gifts or skills. Um, and. I find that across the board. I think data shows it shows it too. Uh, you may have heard the much-used stat that women are less likely to apply for a job than men if they don't perfectly meet the standards that are there. So, if a mm. man maybe meets, I'm making this up, but you know, 60% of the job requirements, he'll still apply for the job. But women, yes. if they don't meet <laughs> 90 to 100, are unlikely to apply for it. So, I don't know if it's a sense of fear of like we don't want to get in over our heads um, and so we don't apply for it. I, I think it's a persistent fear sense at times of not not measuring up or not having God-given confidence in our, in our skills. I mean, I think about this in my own life right now as part of the book promotion process that we'll be rolling out this fall. I'm having to do some writing um, for mm-hmm. some magazines. And I just got an opportunity to write a column uh, for a publication, and I am the smallest name of people who have written that particular column um mm. there are known names and i think who am i to have something to say i don't have anything original i don't have the skill of these other authors and so even though they've invited and obviously felt confident in me to make that invitation i don't actually believe that i deserve it and i sense mm. that in a lot of women and it would be interesting to dig into it a little bit more like what are the factors that contributed to it some of it comes, I think, from feeling like you are stepping outside of what is normal or expected for you. Mm. So, if you haven't seen models of bold women leading in public life who are women of faith, if, you have, if that isn't part and parcel of your discipleship, you can feel lonely or you're alone in stepping out and doing that. I know that has been true in my life on a number of occasions where I've thought, well, okay, I feel like God's leading me to this, and I'm going to say yes to this opportunity, but I feel like I am doing this alone. Um, Mm. And that can contribute, I think, to a feeling of maybe I don't belong here.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: So, so, say a Christian woman comes to you then, hypothetically speaking, (laughs) um,
2: Mm
1: -hmm. and she's describing uh, really what you would call imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. How would you pastor her? How would you counsel her? How does the Christian faith help this woman?
2: Yeah, I think there are both- practical and spiritual counsel, from a Hmm. practical side, let's just talk about her qualifications, let's remind her of the truth, what she has done to earn the spot where she is, or the truth about her qualifications. So there's the practical side of it, and then the spiritual side is trusting that God invites us into things beyond the scope of what we think is possible, and what it looks like to find peace in His presence, uh, in His provision, and really experience his ability to work in those situations. I think it's a wonderful place. Just as we said, we're formed th- through our callings and for our callings, being able to move through those fears or self-doubt is a powerful place for us to be prepared for all the things that lie ahead that God has for us.
1: Mm. Mm. I was thinking also, uh, you described how perhaps some women uh, might suffer from imposter syndrome because they've never seen another woman um, doing that mm-hmm. in that space. And so it was just uh, striking to me that part of the solution as well is just to ha- um, the the elevating of women so that other women can look and see examples of, oh, okay, um, she has done that in that space. Um, that's something I can do as mm-hmm. well, too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I f- a few years ago, I filled a unique leadership role at my church, and I was the first woman they had asked to do that. And I remember right. thinking, like, not only am I the first woman doing this, I'm a single woman and I'm youngish. I was in my 30s at the time. And yeah. I felt that every time I was in a position to um, t- to lead, I felt the isolation and the uniqueness of that role. Yeah. And we should say, I think guys experience imposter syndrome, too, yes. but it may express itself differently and for hmm. different reasons.
1: Yes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Perfectionism is another one that you talk about in your book and you, you point to research there that shows that women perhaps are more likely to be perfectionists than men. Again, um, why why is that the case? And uh, what are some of the Christian truths that women should turn to to help them yeah. address this particular issue?
2: Yeah, you know, the sociologist Brene Brown um had used her reference in some of her conversations about gender where she was talking about what are some of the pressures that each gender face? And for women, for example, when it comes to perfectionism, she had said women may feel this unending pressure to continue to spend money to improve their appearance, whether it's on beauty products or processes, on the clothing that they wear, on their exercise or their diet. An example of perfectionism is that every day we're met with a standard of physical beauty whether it's real or in the age of our ai artificial through social media i can tell you i i even today i've looked online and i've seen examples of female beauty that looks very different than my own and so every day you're reminded by how you aren't perfect and that there are steps you could be taking if you were willing to pay the money and the time and effort. You could be better than you currently are. Um, That's just one area of our lives. But I also think about the diversity of roles that women are feeling. Like I I think about um, what we're still wrestling with and of an imbalance of household responsibilities that women are still, data shows, heavily carrying household responsibilities, even if both partners in a relationship are working outside the home. Hmm. Um, And so that can create a sense of overload and pressure of like, somehow I have to keep up and maintain this. And then I think in the workplace, there are um, examples of constantly feeling like you're trying to keep up. You're able to look at your life and say, if I just tried a little bit harder, I might get that proportion that I need. So, the opportunities to feel inadequate are endless in this day and age, and I think Christian counsel is a dose of reality. It's the discipline not to be listening to the voices in the world of what your life could be, but then also being able to sit in the grace of Christ and saying, because of Christ on His death on His cross, I am fully loved and accepted. Um, my life has been restored and redeemed, and I can rest in that. Mm. But we need a daily reminder because it can be relentless, absolutely relentless. Um, the voice is yes. telling you that you're not enough. Or if you just worked a little harder, you could be a little better.
1: Yes, yes. And maybe even hourly reminder at times, isn't it? Because it as yeah. you say, it's so relentless. Yeah. yeah. Now, Joanna, you used a term in your book, um, which I hadn't come across before, the double bind. Um, just for those also unfamiliar with it, what, what is the double yeah. bind that women face?
2: This is also backed by academic data. It's, it's fascinating. And studies have shown that when we think about what qualities make a leader, we often lead towards more masculine attributes. Hmm. The irony is that data shows that actually great leadership comes in a female package. The ability to um, be aware, to have emotional intelligence and be able to read a room, to push towards consensus and listening to every voice. But we're still acculturated to think of effective leadership comes with decisiveness and Mm. independent thinking and certain qualities that we might stereotypically, emphasis on the stereotype, associate with masculinity. And so, when women attempt to lead like a man, when they act outside of type, of the stereotype, um, they can often be criticized. And so, it's a double bind because you can be likable, you Mm. can show up as a woman in the workplace and bring those God-given attributes, but you may not be viewed as an effective leader. The bind happens that if you try and act outside of that, if you adopt those more masculine attributes, you're less likable. So, what might be viewed, for example, as decisiveness and clear thinking in a man might be viewed as aggressiveness um, in a woman, and so it's crazy how the same quality can have very different perceptions as it plays out in the workplace. And so, trying to navigate that of how do you be viewed as competent and also authentic for who God has made you to be is a real challenge.
1: Hmm. It mm. uh, sounds also not just a double bind, but it sounds like an infuriating bind, yeah. <laughs> I imagine. I
2: think of, yeah, I think of um, political candidates here in the United States. And, and I'll just speak from a perspective as an American. You mm. know, we're one of the few countries that has never had a woman in high office mm. as a president. And when we've seen women who have had feminine attributes on the campaign trail, they're criticized harshly. Yes, you might see a guy tear up and say, "Look how deeply he moved." He was moved by losing or getting this or winning. A woman cries, and you just think, "Oh, look at that; she's weak and emotional because of what happened on the situation." And so, it really—I mean—it plays out. I'm not surprised that the double bind exists.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that's been um, been pointed out a lot in Australia in the last few years in our political uh, realm is just the the way in which women politicians are often asked about how they'll manage the leadership role. And, and parent children, um, yes. but that question isn't asked of the, of the male uh, candidates um, and a, a, a real, um, that being a very striking um, difference um, that, that's pointed out there. So, so, tell us, how would the Christian woman who's, who's encountering this, perhaps feeling frustrated by it, <laughs> uh, how do they uh, navigate that?
2: With a lot of courage and initiative.
1: Yeah, uh, and, I think it's a <laughs> real patience, thing. And, I imagine too.
2: Yeah, you know, we talk about God meeting us in our place of need, and and yeah. that's true. I think God also empowers us through the Holy Spirit through through bold action, and so. It actually means we need to be cunning in a godly way in the workplace, meaning we need to understand who we authentically are and have the courage to live in that. And we also have to have the courage to spot and respond to opportunities in which we can effectively work against type. There may be a situation in a conversation where, where you realize, like, oh, my last performance reviewed said, I am perceived as not being decisive in the workplace. And so you're looking for those opportunities in critical moments where, we're like, okay, I'm going to demonstrate more more decisiveness than I normally would in this particular situation. I find that in my own life at work. Uh, I get received better when there are certain ways of presenting myself in a very dry and clear and direct way that works against type and just personality of how God has made me. Um, but when I'm able to step outside of it, and I don't think that's gendered, I think that's just wisdom and knowing like mm-hmm. being able to fully show up in the skills that are expected of you. But I think for women, knowing how to seize those opportunities to demonstrate even if it doesn't feel like it's true of you at all times, to be able to step it and demonstrate it in those specific situations can help fill that gap. Hmm.
0: Hmm.
1: And to me, just on the flip side, what would you say to the Christian man who's listening to this? Because it's all well and good to say to the women here, you know, here's, um, here's the encouragement for you. But what about the men who might be yeah. in uh, leadership roles in the workplace and wanting to love and serve and help the women uh, that alongside them flourish? What would you say to them?
2: I'm so thankful you asked because this is such an important question. As we think about the biblical vision of men and women collaborating, like when God put together humankind to be working and stewarding and being part of the renewing work of Christ in the world, it's men and women together. And mm. so, part of this conversation, we often said at at Denver Institute, women working calling doesn't exist as an end unto itself. It's addressing that gap with the ultimate goal of men and whipping women working together for God's purposes in the world. So, it's so important for men to be asking about this. I think for men, I would say um, checking your own assumptions about what effective leadership looks like, tuning your eyes and ears to see leadership even if it comes in a different package or is expressed in a different way. Mm-hmm. And that can take some work. I I found even in my own circles that I run in, uh, there tends to be a default male in our culture. Hmm. Um, I could think about some examples. Well, we'll talk about networking a little bit, I hope, but... um, Hmm you know we just can default into very gendered lanes and how we act together how we relate together and also how we hear each other and so it can mean training your eyes and ears to be able to see different kinds of leadership and i think women can support each other in that like here's a great example from the obama administration Mm. his senior leaders as women plotted together to be able to amplify each other's voices. And so, they would, if a woman wasn't being recognized, they would echo what a colleague had said, the one that wasn't being recognized, and made sure she got the credit for that idea. Hmm. But they were working together to make sure that in in those rooms of power that the woman's voice was heard if they were tending to be uh, dismissed or run over. And so, there's a lot to be said for tuning our ears for different forms of leadership.
1: Yes, yes. And, that, and just in terms of that tuning your ears, uh, are there good questions that men in the workplace can ask their female colleagues mm. to, to ensure that um, uh, the, the opportunities um, that they are wanting to pursue in terms of leadership or others uh, are being afforded yeah. to them? What are, the, what are the kind of questions uh, that men should ask their female colleagues?
2: I'd say, you know, a couple, if you have a woman reporting, I I can think of three questions or three steps men could take too. Hmm. If you have a woman reporting to you, I think you could even ask, and don't expect her to have an answer right away. She may have one. It may take time for her to come back and have a response to you, but just saying, hey, do you feel like your voice is heard on our team? Hmm. Can you give me an example of where you feel like your voice may not have been heard or your idea hasn't been recognized? You could even say, do you feel like this is an environment where you can lead in full confidence of your skills or that you're appreciated? If you're a peer on a team, if you're in a team meeting and you see a woman not um, whose idea isn't heard or who's maybe interrupted, interrupting is a huge thing uh, in mixed gender conversations. If you see a woman being interrupted, you as a man could just graciously step in and say, hi, Mark, let's hold on. I want to finish hearing what Melissa had to say. Yeah, that's one of the most empowering things that you can do. And I have a colleague that does that is that he affirms if you see something very good that I've done in a meeting, he says, Joanna, I so appreciate how you said that. Or let's make sure we circle back. I want to finish hearing what you had to say. So you can be a little bit of a a meeting monitor to make sure all the voices at the table get heard. That would apply for extroverts and introverts, too, Mm, you know, mm. that's part of just hearing from every voice. It doesn't have to be limited to gender. So, that's something peers can do. Uh, We talked about um, men in reporting relationships, things that they can do. Mm. Another key thing in corporate settings or organizational settings is for men to be willing to be sponsors. We often use a language of mentorship that you're looking for someone wiser to be building into you, but really, that has a place. But really what women need are sponsors and a sponsor is someone who is Mm. providing evidence for a woman's effectiveness and championing her in conversations that will lead to her advancement in the workplace. It's Mm. someone who's taking who you are and representing you in those critical conversations when you might not have a seat at the table. Uh, And so men sponsoring women and being advocates for them is huge.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: Oh, that's very helpful, very practical. Uh, certainly some things I know I can, I can apply for my own, my own work life there. Um, Joanna, you mentioned networking, so let's come to that now. I know uh, data in the US at least shows that women are 30% less likely than men to have strong professional relationships. So, so what are some of the reasons for this uh, so-called gender network gap and how might uh, women and, uh, and men as well too uh, go about closing that kind yeah. of gap?
2: Okay, I have various kind of angles that I'm going to take in this conversation. One is I've noticed among my Christian girlfriends that I think when you aren't being discipled for this imagination and proactivity towards your role in public life, you may not get the training to be a networked person. I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with girlfriends and said like, hey, here are some practical steps that you can take to strengthen your relational connectivity in your industry or in our city. So, you know, that's part of it. It's just a learned skill. Um, When I, I kind of, I've had arguments with girlfriends about that data, about us being uh, worst networkers. I think we're great networkers, it's just that the systems for networking have not always been made for women. I have a friend mm-hmm. that's very opinionated he would say that. She said, oh, we're amazing <laughs> networkers. It's just that networking has been designed around a male model sometimes. And so, yeah. that's a, a kind of a third element in this conversation is challenging men to say, hey, you may not even realize how often you are hanging out with other guys or how soft networking and jobs that become available are passed from man to man to man because those are the relationships that you have. Yeah, And sometimes you don't want to uh, let me let me be judicious in how I say this. In some ways, it's very understandable. It's easy, especially in the Christian community. There's less tension there relating to other guys. I get it. But if we're not being proactive in making sure our networks are inclusive to include everybody who would benefit of seeing the value of having diverse voices around the table, we may not be intentional on making it happen. And. I think one of the challenges i would I, I want to fly down to australia and be a fly on the wall and watch mm. how you guys interact but here in the us how that often plays out is that business networking opportunities are built around things that men really like to do mm-hmm. it's golfing it's motorcycles it's and this sounds so terribly stereotypical but it is yep. so true i can't tell you the number of <laughs> invitations i've seen where i see guys, you know, come to this event, ladies, welcome. And I'm like, it's golf, it's motorcycles, it's cigars, (laughs) and it is bourbon.
1: That
2: does not, that does not broadly appeal. And so, sometimes it's it's taking a step back and to say, have we truly made this environment that that's welcoming for a diverse range of people? And that doesn't mean you have to put pink doilies out on the table, but Mm. it does mean being willing to step away from things that really lean towards male appeal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, Joanna, I can just tell you uh, straight up that uh, Australia is not too dissimilar when it comes to the kind of networking things that happen around the workplace and them being very gendered in that way, if you like, that um, much more perhaps appealing to, to men. And given the fact that so much of um, work progression and opportunities happens through, as okay. they say, uh who you know rather than what you know. It's just a. It's just a. I guess as you say, the system. Well, I'll. I'll say. I'll put it this way. It's almost so like the system is stacked against women at that point in terms of um, closing the door on the kind of spaces where those opportunities to to flourish and to progress in the in the workplace can occur and often occur.
2: Yeah, and I think in Christian circles there can be even an added challenge because we have a great sensitivity to wanting to be proper in our relationships and that mm. comes from a beautiful yes. motivation yeah we want to honor marriage we want to um encourage moral behavior but that can also provide some barriers where we yes. it's not as natural or we have added layers of suspicion one of the things that was fascinating was um, to see some studies coming out after the me too movement so kind of early in the pandemic we'd seen that huge wave of um Issues of sexual assault revealed, especially here in the US, we saw a number of big names fall as a result of their behavior. Yes. Um, but we never. Because of the pandemic, we never worked to find really thoughtful solutions of how do we have conversations to evaluate what's happening? How do we prevent them happening? And so, it was easy for men to want to be um, self-protective, to say, I don't want to see my career ruined because of Mm. a false accusation. And so, I would say to some degree, notice I said to some degree, um, I can understand a concern there. You don't want to be foolhardy about the potential, and yet we need to have uh, a way to be able to move through that because keeping the gender separate doesn't serve women at all.
1: Yes, yes. It doesn't serve women, but also we're, we're the poorer for it, given that. Yes, as said-
2: yes, no, I'm so glad you said that.
1: <laughs> well, given that, yes, well, you said, yeah, God has created male and female to collaborate together. If we're, if we're shutting down opportunities for that collaboration to happen, yeah, we, we miss out, don't we?
2: Oh, yeah, that's the proactive side of it is saying mm. we need women at the table. And data mm. backs it up that companies perform better. They have less ethical violations when you have a diverse gender mix at the table of leadership. So mm. um, your company, your organization will be better for it, but it takes a lot. It takes work and proactivity to make sure that happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Who'd have thought that the way God designed it would actually be best? <laughs> I know.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: <laughs> now, Joanna, um, lots of encouragement for women here in terms of things to to, to consider and 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 pursue in terms of the workplace. Um, of course, many women would be familiar with the the expression, the language um, of leaning in. The the Facebook CEO Sheryl Sandberg, her her book, and all of the work around that that language of of leaning in in the workplace. Women being encouraged to do that. Is that what you're also encouraging or is it something slightly different?
2: No, not at all. I think- women who have tried the model that Cheryl sandberg proposed have found that it really doesn't work uh it, mm. it's for a very specific class of women and women in specific roles um it's easier to lean in when you have significant amount of help with household and childcare responsibilities and so it's not a practical model so i think there are two two models um that i would recommend one is one of integration
0: mm-hmm. this
2: is true for men and women alike that we live with God in all of life. And that's one thing I love about the faith and work movement is that we can lead hard on the work and think it only means the paid employment that you do outside the home. But really, it's living with God in all things for His purposes in the world. That work yeah. is the way that we productively engage creation. And so, you realize that God is inviting us into a much more integrated rather than compartmentalized life. Now, does that make life easier? Not at all. In fact, I think it can make it stressful because it it elevates all things as having importance. But it invites us to see our lives holistically, Hmm. and I think we can invite God into every corner and we can see the tension of trying to steward all of those things together. So I would say no from a just purely practical perspective, lean-in is not broadly accessible to Mm. a wide range of women. Also, biblically, I don't think it's reflective of um, living with God in all of life. One of the challenges of the reality that we're seeing in the modern workforce, at least here in the United States, that in my hometown of Denver, Colorado, it's very difficult to live on a single income. Um, Mm housing mm. prices have skyrocketed as a result of the pandemic. And so, financially, you need to be have two, having two parents working. But our social structures here in the U.S., and I realize you guys are different. You have you have more supportive structures, I think, for families. Mm. But here, our social structures are not made up for working families. There's very little support that push encourage integration. And so, that's a place for distinctive Christian influence. I would mm. love to see uh, churches providing affordable Daycare options that mm. we'd be actively involved in having conversations about what it looks like to support the caretaking responsibilities of any person, regardless of their relationship strat- status, because mm. that's true of any any worker these days. We all have people that we probably are caring for in the context of our daily life.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you, and as you say, lots that the the church can do in that space if we're mm-hmm. if we're alert to it. Um, it's a it's a great opportunity for for uh, for Christian love and also equally Christian witness. And so, Joanna, that brings yeah. me to my final question. Uh, there's a quote at the end of, of your new book where you write this, redeeming male-female partnerships is a powerful apologetic in a culture coming to terms with the scope of hashtag me too. So just to finish this conversation... Could you perhaps explain how all that we've been talking about can be a, a powerful witness to the working world of the, the difference that the gospel makes for male-female relationships, especially, as you say, in that context of a me-too world?
2: Yeah. I think if anyone should be able to resolve some of the tension that we feel around gender, it should be Christians. Hmm. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have that biblical model that God sets in place. We have the example of Christ who had vibrant relationships with women who are in His community of followers. So, we have these examples. We have the Holy Spirit to empower it if we're willing to grow. And that's the, that's the part of it is that it takes intentionality and proactivity. It takes growth on both both of our parts. And I think it takes that vision of saying uh, it's not complete without both men and women in this unique blessed alliance that God has mm. put together. So, it's um, it's not just a nice thing to have, it's living out what God put in motion from the very beginning.
1: Mm. mm And the call to live this out is not just a call for women, it's, as we've said, it's a call for the men as well, as well too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That posture of learning is a critical first step.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. No, that's wonderful. Uh, look, Joanna, I have really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like we've just scratched the surface. And so I hope this is not the uh, the end of the conversation, but, but just a start and just the start of the conversation for those listening as well, too. And so if you'd want to find out more about uh, Joanna's uh, work, uh, we'll put a link in our show notes to the uh, Denver Institute for Faith and Work and also a link to her new book, Women, Work and Calling. Uh, I have read it highly recommend it. Uh, It was very challenging for me, but also encouraging for me as well, too. So encourage you to to check that out also. But Joanna, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
2: Such a privilege, Andrew. Thanks for reading my book. That's so honoring that you would take (laughs) the time to do that.
1: No, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. Lots to think about. Well, look, that brings us to the end of this episode. Next time, we're going to meet the dentist turned pastor who is trying to change the way churches support Christians in the workplace. I think this will be a good episode that we've just had with Joanna for him to listen to as well. But until then, I'm Andrew Laird, and you've been listening to the Life at Work podcast.
0: Enjoyed this podcast? Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing and leaving a rating so others can find us too. Join us next time on the Life at Work podcast with Andrew Laird.